Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to yet another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange where we we pick the brain of experts. We hear stories from successful leaders, but we learn some good sound business principles that we can install into the organization that we run. This is, this is targeted for nonprofit leaders and clergy running. We're learning business principles that are applicable to any enterprise. How do we show up and be better at serving the people that are in our network and providing value? Because that generates revenue for our organization and it's revenue that we need to operate and fulfill our mission. Today, we're talking about this scary world for some people of digital and how do you, how do you navigate the digital stratosphere and get your word out? And, you know, it's not so scary after all. So I have, have a, an expert on the line today, and uh, he's going to share what he knows about his piece of this. So let's welcome uh, Spencer Brooks to the Nonprofit Exchange. And Spencer, tell people a little bit about who you are and your background, and then tell us, why do you do this digital thing? What is your passion? Thanks, Hugh. Yeah, I'm, first of all, I'm very excited to be here today. I think a good place to start uh, is just a brief, uh, my story, because I think that really plays into the work that I do in the digital space now and the um, particular organizations that uh, myself and my firm work with. So I, I'm not going to tell you the whole autobiography here. We don't have time. But uh, the relevant piece here um, is, so um, I grew up in a family um, of three children. I'm the oldest. So I have a younger brother and a young, younger sister. And growing up, my brother he had some uh, concerning health issues that uh, my parents saw early on. Like for example, he didn't have some of the uh, reflexes that you would typically see an infant have. He maybe wasn't as coordinated as uh, the other children. And so in isolation, none of these things were particularly concerning, but in, taken in aggregate, it was enough of a cause of concern for my parents to go see the doctors but they couldn't really find anything at that point. And so uh, we just really grew up in uh, this normal, um, relatively speaking life. And so around the time that my brother turned 20, uh, he started to really deteriorate physically and uh, he lost the uh, ability to walk. So he ended up getting like a disabled card for his car and he uh, ended up having to use a wheelchair to get around and this whole time my family was trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. We went to the, the Mayo Clinic uh, of all places and they were struggling to figure out what was happening as well. They could identify some stuff maybe in his genes that was differently, but the important thing here was that I was experiencing in my family this, this angst, this experience that we were all collectively going through as my brother would get asked the question, what's wrong with you? And he didn't have an answer for that, for that question. It was very difficult. And around the time this was happening, uh, my sister, who's engaged to be married about that time in her early 20s, she gets diagnosed with cancer. 
And so this is a double whammy uh, on our family. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of looking around waiting for the ball to drop on, on me. Uh, it's like, oh, man. Um, thankfully, my, my sister recovered from the cancer. She's living cancer-free, uh, happily married now. But I got a good experience going through this of how just the, this journey of um, health issues can really be uh, a serious toll emotionally on family. And so as this process, this sort of sets the stage for the work that I was doing at the time. And I was um, running a, and still am running a, a digital firm, Brooks Digital, that um, we were doing at that point, like a lot of website work and email marketing. And I noticed that a lot of our clients were nonprofits, specifically health organizations. And at some point, uh, you know, I realized, hey, we're doing our, our best work. Like, you know, some of the, one of our best clients, we, we helped them get their digital presence up to a few million annual visitors, a couple hundred or a hundred thousand email subscribers. We were doing some great work for them. And I, I looked at that and I went, you know what? I can see on the other side, how the people that they serve, I've been in their shoes. And I think I can't fix all the health issues that people have. I can't fix this, you know, I can't make it better, but I can use the skill sets that I have to help maybe in some small way change the narrative of someone who's going through this a significant event to show them compassion. And um, so that's that's really what motivates me to do what I do um, and to help the, the kind of um, organizations that um, myself and, and Brooks Digital serves. And these the things that we'll talk about today, of course, are are not just applicable to health organizations, they're applicable to everyone, but that's what really, really motivates me. And so it's brooksdigital.com, right? It's uh, actually one of these fancy new domain names. So it's brooks.digital. So there's no .com, it's just dot, dot .digital at the um, end. I'm looking right at it and I can't read. So pardon, pardon me. It's a common mistake. <laughs> yeah, we want to put com on everything. So, um, um, and it's, it's, it's a pleasant looking site and I know exactly what you do when I go there. So <clears throat> nonprofits, all of us are guilty of wanting to put too much on our website and people get to get there and it's like, okay, I'm here now. What? And, uh, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite definitions I learned from Tom Antion, a internet marketer, um, web, web builders tend to talk about hits when marketing people talk about hits, which he translates to how idiots track success. So we don't want to track hits. What do we want to track and why is it important? So back into this website, what do people need to see and how do we track it and why is that important? Yeah. So there's a few facets to that question. So I think I like to start the, the metrics are at the, at the bottom of a, of a series of events, right? I like to start, towards the top and understanding how, how does your website play into your organization's mission? Because you could pick, there's thousands of different metrics you could track. And some of them like hits, they call them vanity metrics, right? Where, you know, that makes you feel good, but so what? That's the question. So, so what? And it's usually, you know, you're not there just to get a, bu a bunch of eyeballs on you. You're there to have those eyeballs ultimately do something. And so what that what you want them to do is, of course, contextual to your mission. But I like to start uh, thinking about it in terms of um, moving from your mission and trying to figure out what role your website plays in that. So 
uh, one thing I would encourage uh, encourage people to think about is if your website had a job description, if it was a person that you hired to work 24-7, seven days a week, what would its job description be? What are, how would you be evaluating the success of that? And I think that's an interesting way to look at it because it really forces you to think about the outcomes that you want for some organizations. Well, for, I mean, fundraising is a huge one, of course. You want people to, to give money. Um, and But of course, every type of organization sometimes has different things that they want people to ultimately do. So I think once you have that that idea of the job description of your website, then you can look at those key outcomes and you can try to figure out what numbers can I tie to those uh, that that I can track. And I think that's a, a good place to, to begin when you're talking about evaluating uh, the metrics and things to be tracking. So when somebody comes to your website, what should they see? And there's this term that was birthed with uh technology called user-friendly. We tend to use it in other places, but it's, it, in my world, it's specifically about technology. So what makes it user-friendly and what do we want people to see when they get there? Is that, is that the same thing or is it different? Yeah, uh, that it, I think they're slightly different um, in the sense that when I think about a user-friendly website, uh, one definition, this is just my point of view here, but I like to think about reducing friction. So I'm sure we've all had the experience of going to a website and it takes 30 seconds to load and you don't know where, how to get to things and you're trying to accomplish a task, but just there's friction in that process. And if you're like me, unless it's really important, you probably just back away and you lose someone. So I like to think about a user-friendly site as reducing friction. So in, in terms of what they should see first, uh, you know, I think that depends on what you want them to do in terms of reducing that friction, right? If you're, if the first thing, like many organizations, if you know that, uh, that someone new might be hitting your site, yeah, you might want to sh share just a brief tidbit about what your organization is. I think that's sometimes what organizations miss in the grand scheme of things. You know, you, you get to their website and you're not actually sure like, who is that? Is this, you know, is this a church? Is this a food bank? Are we, what, what do you do? And of course, some people will automatically know what you do. Maybe they have some history with your organization, but I think that's a good place to start. And then after that, I think that if you've defined some of the other outcomes that you want people to, uh, to, or some of the actions you want them to take on the website, like signing up for your email list, then you know, okay, maybe right under that, I'm gonna gently nudge someone to sign up for email list. Maybe the next thing that they're gonna wanna know is more about the organization. So you start to be able to think about what you want people to do and what, uh, what information that they might need to know at the different stages of their journey with your organization. And you start to be able to craft the site around that person in a way that reduces the friction for the different tasks that they might want to perform. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. Um, in terms of communicating with donors, the uh, phrase comes to mind, uh, confused mind says no. And you don't want people to come and, and either sign up for your list or be a board member or something. And the technology kind of gets in the way because it's too fancy. Yeah. So what does user-friendly mean? 
I think it's something, you know, and I'll go back to that again and say when I when I mean reducing friction, I mean that something that's user friendly fades into the background. You're not your focus is not on the technology; it's it's on accomplishing a task. So I think something that's user friendly means that that person is able to complete the task that they came to that website or to that piece of technology to do without having to think about how they're going to do it. They can just do that. So I think part of that is, like you mentioned to you, being clear and that user-friendliness could come from how you message and how you speak. Like a, a user-friendly site probably doesn't have 500 pages of copy for someone to read through. You know, it's how you how you write is is absolutely part of that. It could be it's not just the design, it's not just how fast it loads. It's a kind of a combination of these different uh, elements that you put together in order to just put someone's focus on the task that they came to complete or that you want them to complete, and not on how the technology is impeding that goal. I'm. Um... I'm surprised. I look at my Google Analytics for visitors to my website, and um, how many people spend how much time on what page, and what age they are, and what kind of device they're on. And I am surprised that even today, sixty to sixty-five percent of our visitors are on uh, desktop or laptop computers. They're on computers, not on phones or iPads, or your or you know tablets. That's that's not the norm. I understand that um, we're switching more and more to mobile mobile websites and mobile friendly websites. So user friendly has to also be mobile friendly. Now, is is that segmented by uh, demographic? Is it is it mostly millennials and people like me, boomers, are on the computer and, and millennials are on a phone? Or what's the wisdom on who's looking at your site from what device and what age are they? It's a that's a very relevant question to be asking, and I actually think uh, there's the fancy word we call it omni-channel, but I think the reality is what that means is that actually it's it's not there's maybe a false dichotomy there because I think you and I use both our phones and our computers, and sometimes we use them for different tasks. So I think that one Hugh, you are uh, correct that right now the the majority, like over fifty percent of website traffic is on a phone or a tablet or something like that. So the majority of, of actual hits on your website are coming from a phone. But I think if you look at things like donations, when people start to give money, you'll, you'll see preferences to using desktop because you, know, you don't want to enter your credit card information on a phone. You're going to sit down at your computer and you're going to do that. So while I think that that yes, there, are, if you get into the older generation, uh, you may see less mobile usage. I think overall, it's more about what people choose to do, what tasks people choose to do on what device. And so with that, I think it's very important to understand your audience and the age range that they are and um, or just literally the data in your Google, Google Analytics or your other tools to see what are people using? And most importantly, what are they using for what tasks, research versus giving and things like that? And then when your boots hit the ground, you say, maybe I'm gonna, dis I'm gonna look at my research pages or articles or informational pages on the site. I'm gonna really pay attention to how they look on the phone. 
But when it comes to my giving page, I'm going to optimize that for desktop because we're getting more traffic there for giving. Mm -hmm. So there's there's lots of ways of looking at, at user-friendly. I um, recently traded in my iPhone for the, I had to have the 12 Pro, um, not plus, but the Pro, because it was like, yeah, sizzle. So I, I chose my big box provider of choice because nobody else had it, <laughs> which uh, uh, I won't say the name, but their initials are Best Buy. And I went down there and, and they didn't they didn't have it when I got there. So they said, well, there's one in our store an hour away. So I went there. And so it was absolutely delightful experience. And it started downloading my stuff from the cloud and it finished when I got home. So instead of being an hour experience like it has in the past, it was like a few minutes. And then we had a good time and I, I bought a lot of extra stuff because I had so much fun. But then I had to go to, because I, I could have traded the phone in, but I, my provider, whom I won't say the name of, but their initials are AT&T, was offering an $800 rebate you know, for the phone. And so go and fill it out online. All right, I, I, I do my, my virtual cards on my phone. I do my web pages. I do my podcast. I am fairly literate for an old guy on digital stuff. I could not, I could not do the simple task on their website. So I just gave up. And that was a very frustrating. Here's a high-tech company that can't make it an easy experience for anybody who even likes technology. So I went, got my car and went down to their store and said, here's your damn, here's your phone. <laughs> and so, and so I'm thinking about, we, we want to bring people to our website and have, it's not a website. Really. It's a, it's a, it's a virtual experience. Now, how do they have an experience with us? So it's a whole different dimension. So your, your area, we're going to move into digital marketing. I'm, I'm thinking so, so we have to prepare the space. So, so I get all these people come to my website. What do they see when they get there? So what is it we want people to, to do? We, we want to, so one of it is donate, but there's a variety. So you talked about the health professional, I mean, the health companies, and they want to engage people. So we want to, so go back to this. I'm going to, you mentioned the first, and I meant to ask you this before we go on, the, the, the job description for your <laughs> website. So give me an example of that. Uh, what does that look like in just some generic terms? What's the, what, what, what could we model after? That's a, I, I love that question. I, I'll use, I'll think about a, a website that, that uh, I've worked on in particular in the health space, just in as, as an example, because it is, of course, it's unique. But I think you think about, I think about a website accomplishing three things as part of that job description. It's awareness. It's engagement, and we'll get into that's a very fuzzy word, but we can actually get into the, the what that means. And then it's some sort of conversion. So really, the website is, in some ways, the job description would actually be a horrible job description for a person because you have like your PR person and then a programs person and a fundraising position, like all morphed into one horrible. I mean, you know, that's I, I guess if you actually ask any person who works at a nonprofit, they'll probably say, yeah, my, my job actually includes all of those things. But you know, right, that's right. It's the, the accidental techie. Um, so, for a health website, as an example, one of the things is to generate awareness about maybe symptoms. If you're talking about a organization who specializes in a particular disease, it could be cancer, diabetes, whatever. Here's the symptoms. Here's how to manage your health. Here's information on uh, on how to better actually get, get healthier in some way, whatever that means. 
And so part of that is actually getting people to the site through search engine optimization. So the, the job description would be get people to the site. And then part of that job description would be keep people on the site, make them visit multiple pages to get the helpful information that they need. And ultimately at the end of that, for, uh, for a health organization, you might want to get them on your email list so that you can send them repeated communications and then ultimately make an appeal or get them to maybe do some advocacy work or join a support group or find a medical professional that's near them. And so it's a part of that job description, again, awareness, engagement, conversion. Uh, that's, that's what I would expect most any nonprofit site to do. And the definitions of those kind of will vary depending on the organization. But um, I think a, a donations, email subscriptions, getting more traffic, those are things that are pretty universal. And that, that would be an example of, of what I would expect a, a nonprofit's website to do. So for, um, you're right, the, the nonprofit executive is expected to do a whole bunch of stuff um, on a low salary in 12 hour days. And then we wonder why they burn out. So there's a lot of demands on us. However, it's a time to get smart and to pick the brain of somebody like uh, like you um, to say, okay, how do I leverage somebody's knowledge to gain the goals that I want? So, so our website, Center Vision Leadership Foundation is about health as well. It's about healthy leaders, healthy organizations. And you know, if you build a healthy culture, that's because you're healthy emotionally and you're healthy as a leader, you're engaging other people as they're able. And we, we need to know what their abilities are so that we have the advantage in the nonprofit of, of uh, free labor because people want to serve and they want to do something that, that fulfills their passion. And a lot of times we get in the way. So on the website, it's, it's probably a way for people to say, oh, I want to participate. Where do I sign up? And that needs to be really blatantly obvious. Or philanthropy is time, talent, and money. So we want people to engage. And so I think to be able to engage, we build a relationship and we have this understanding of what, what value we're bringing. So how do we work in our unique value proposition? We do this and it's unique to any other organiz organization. It's different from everybody else. How do we work that into the, the very, I, what, what do I read? It's what, six seconds before somebody leaves your website if they don't get something? Is it, is it that fast? I mean, it's probably faster than that. I think people, it's like split second. It's the initial impression. I think it's under a second, um, if I remember that stat correctly, that they just get an impression of what this site is and kind of whether they, they like it or not. I think when it comes to articulating that value proposition, it can't be a, a page long and start with your organization's history. Because at, at least at that point, no one, they, they care, but they don't care about that. And so I think about one sentence at the top of the page, how can you articulate the elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it. They, they've got to be able to read it 60 characters or less. You pick the length, right? But it's that single sentence that this is what we do. And if they want to learn more, then you put a, a link that says, hey, learn more about the organization. And then you can go into more detail. But I think it is about getting them that, that quick value proposition right away getting them on to what, whatever they came to do. And then once they've engaged by say, signing up for um, an, e an email list, maybe attending an event or whatever, 
you make sure and reinforce that as part of your communications throughout the relationship with that person. Because I really believe that for the most part, unless you get a person who's oddly invested in your organization, no one's going to spend five or 10 minutes reading every page on your site. They're, they're going to get these little bits of information over time and they're going to absorb that, but it, it has to be appropriate to where they are. So when they're first visiting the homepage, appropriate means it's got to be short and sweet and then repetitive over time. So you can add more context and flavor and, and nuance um, and expand upon that value proposition and all the things that you couldn't tell them in that first initial sense. Mm-hmm. I guess the first thing we want to do in any occasion and what, what we don't realize is when we meet with somebody in person, it's, it's also that first impression. They got it sized up. And if we don't, if we don't interrupt their thinking with something they think is important, there's the, there's the wow factor. If we can't interrupt their thinking and say, oh, wait a minute, that's not what I was expecting. And then tell me more. I guess we want people to lean in. And I guess the biggest pivot for me when I, I uh, first negotiated with somebody to be an agent for me as a speaker, I showed them very proudly my, my speaker one sheet. And they said, well, it's pretty you, but guess what? It's all about you and that was a very humbling moment it's okay it doesn't it needs to be about them and so how do we we want they want we want them to know about the work we're doing but how do we help them engage from their perspective i i I, i'm a huge fan of that question um as well because you're totally you're very right that as soon as it becomes about you and what you've done your visitors are going to mentally check out. I also think it's a complex question because perhaps unlike the for-profit sector, it's not as as much of this um, direct, I'm going to give you, I'm if you buy this, I'm going to give you more like money or a better career or whatever, where it's like very focused on either tangible goods or or money or whatever. Sometimes what you're selling is... Uh, I use the word selling, right? But it's, of course, it's a different thing, but it could be a feeling that you're going to give them, or maybe they're going to participate in the work that the organization is doing as a partner, but it is a, it is a little bit of a different approach to that. So I would encourage the word, the use of the words you and yours, and try to eliminate those eyes and we's from statements. And I find that it's a very helpful practice just to, to do those kinds of things because you're forced to reframe your value proposition around the people who are coming to your site and really not just your site to anytime you're doing communications and think about, oh, what are they going to get out of this? And how can we express the value of our work in terms of uh, visitors? So eliminating I's and we's from those statements is, is a great place to start. So... Um, we're going to talk about digital marketing. That's something you do, right? Mm-hmm. So what is marketing? We, 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 we have to separate the words marketing and sales and PR. So when you talk about digital marketing, what does that mean? I think it has a unique meaning for the nonprofit sector. And, you know, this will just be my, my personal take on it. But I think it's getting people, first of all, from the place of not knowing that your organization exists to a place where they, your name is now in front of them. And ideally they know 
a little bit about what you do and how you help. So that's really stage one. And I think stage two of marketing is, is pulling people in. And you'll notice here, I'm going back to awareness, engagement, conversion. Uh, but you're pulling people in, you're finding a way to get them to engage with your organization in a way that will let you continue that conversation, that relationship. It would be the digital equivalent of getting someone's phone number. You, you walk up to someone, you meet them for the first time, you have a good conversation that is not all about you talking about yourself. And you follow up and say, hey, uh, I'd love to get coffee with you next week. Uh, here's my number, can I get your number? And then you have a series of follow-up conversations with them. And, uh, you know, then maybe, you know, if you're in, in the fundraising world that down the line, that relationship leads to a, a polite ask. And that it, that's a process that can be mirrored in the digital wor world as well. So I think the role of digital marketing for nonprofits is to, like I said, first get someone aware and then get them engaged in a way that that just simply means you have an open avenue of communication with them. They're they're benefiting and they're they're taking some sort of action within your organization. And then ultimately you can get them to take a big step that could be giving money, that could be um, volunteering, that could be signing up for a program. Um, some of these big outcomes that are closely related to your mission. And I think the role of marketing is just to get people from not knowing about your organization all the way to um, getting them involved in, in accomplishing your mission and supporting the other facets of the organization along the way. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So there's lots of um, options out there. I think you would say a sea of options. <laughs> you know, we're on the ship and all we see is water. Um, so how do we, you know, how do we sort out all the ways to, to be connected and without being overwhelmed? I think a good framework to start thinking about that question is actually, well, it's a, it's a principle because the, the fact is that there's so many options out there that I, my perspective is that I don't think you can choose, uh, you can't choose all of them. You have to choose a small number of them uh, simply for the fact that your organization only has so much capacity. So if you overextend by choosing a bunch of tactics. I'm, I'm talking about like getting on every social media platform in existence, and then you're going to do text messaging and email marketing, and you're going to start crowdfunding, and you're just, you're spread so thin digitally, unless you have a very large organization, that you're a jack of all trades and, and master of none. So as a, as a foundational principle to choosing, I think you have to start by accepting the fact that you only have so much capacity and that the market, the digital marketing that's marketing the digital marketing, if that makes any sense, the stuff that you're going to read online is going to tell you that you're ha you have to do all these things. But the reality is that any particular tactic that you choose, you have to be able to devote enough time to that to really excel at it because otherwise there is gonna be another organization out there, a series of organizations that are gonna specialize in that and they're gonna get better results. But to the point of choosing, I think it's helpful to start with a, a digital strategy. And what I mean by that is just a series of, of goals that you have for your digital presence that are usually tied to your mission. Like the, these are some of the things that our website does that contributes to our mission. 
and then choose the things that the specific tactics, the channels, the things like that, that closely align with those outcomes. So one of the things that I would suggest is uh, called an impact effort matrix. So you take all these different ideas for how could we, uh, you know, use Instagram or how could we use Facebook or X, Y, or Z to accomplish this goal of, you know, reaching a hundred thousand people and write down the cost that it would take to actually implement that well, then the business impact it would have and the ROI, and you start to get these things on, on a matrix. And I think it makes it a little bit easier for, for you to see the things that are, they, these are high cost, low value. They may, they may be legitimately great for another type of organization or for the for-profit sector, not so great for us. And then you start to find some of these tactics that seem to have a really, uh, a really good shot at getting you close to your mission. And if you survey a lot of nonprofits, you're going to find that people are the tactics all, are all over the map. Um, there's some uh, great studies that Digital Outlook Report is um, is a good one by Care Two. They uh, they will outline some tactics and what people and what organizations are using what tactics, but the general uh, summary of that is that different organizations are using different different tactics. So I think it matters a lot that you choose ones that you think are um, appropriate to your capacity that match your mission as well as your audience. And then that you commit to those in a way that you can excel. And I think doing that will go a long way to making sure that you don't get confused and overwhelmed in the process. Well, good advice. I'm going to talk about a sponsor here for a minute, then we'll see if there's any questions that uh, got a few people on Facebook and got a couple people watching here. So our sponsor uh, that helps us do these is today is Easy Card. It's our digital card that um, we give to people. And it's another form of digital marketing because it's a place that people can know about Center Vision uh, Leadership Foundation and actually they have it in the palm of their hand. So if you wanna send, I'm gonna, if you're watching this, you can see our digital card on the screen and it, it's long because it fits on a phone, doesn't fit my computer screen, but that's what it would look like if I had my phone. And um, uh, there's a, there's a, this is all about Center Vision. It's about the work we do. And if you, if you look on the uh, nonprofit exchange videos, you look and say, oops, look there, here's a digital platform. It's the market marketing, um, engaging digital platforms for nonprofits. I can't even read my own stuff. So it's Brooks Digital and it's the work we're doing today. So if you wanna be connected with us, uh, text to this number, 64600, 64600, text that number. And in the message you put in the letters LDR, LDR, and you'll get a link and you click it and voila, you have this card. And this card uh, is an easy card that, that if you had this reorganization, you could send a text out because you now have everybody's cell phone number and you send a text for, don't forget the board meeting Monday at six o'clock, send it out on Friday. And then Monday you send it out, maybe it'll depend on the routine that you have set up with your group. And we certainly can overdo it, but to remind people, here's where we're gonna be. 
And so you want to make sure you send out the uh, the right information. I sent a, a text out this morning to a group that meets at 11 a.m. and I put in there 2 p.m. Well, wrong time. It was a cut and paste monster. So be sure we're sending accurate information to the right people. Easy card, letter E, letter Z, C-A-R-D, easycard.com. Um, you can find out how to have one for your organization or just get our card. And in that you have all of my contact information in one place. So it, it really isn't complicated, is it, uh, Brooks, to uh, Spencer? You got Spencer and Brooks, it could both be a last name or a first name. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You could flip them around, no, no big deal. And my co-host last year was uh, uh, Russell David Dennis. He had three first names. So let's see if anybody wants to ask a question. Uh, um, if you want to open your mic and if you have, Bob's got an open mic, uh, Mr. Philanthropy here. And um, Bob, I would, is it fair to say that technology is, is not your favorite topic? Well, I'm kind of at a loss about what to even ask because I don't even know that any of it would make any sense. <laughs> How's that? Bob's a major author, philanthropy, a philanthropist, and a, a promoter of philanthropy. And actually, he's created pretty large presence. So uh, in, in simple terms, though, Bob, um, if people go to a website, and you're, one of your many areas of expertise is uh, language that donors understand. And so having a website that is donor-friendly, when they get there, they know what to push and exactly what it's all about. Uh, why is that important in, in your world, in your, your history and your work with nonprofits? Well, um, anyway, thank you, Spencer, for being here. I appreciate the topic, even though it's not my favorite, but it's something I need to know more about. Um, I teach college. Profess I'm a professor of speech, and I have my students speak about nonprofit organizations, but they've got to pick one, and then they've got to go to the website. That's what I tell them. Go to the website and find out who, what, where, when, why, and then how. And they come back and they are at a loss because they haven't been able to find any of that or most of that or some of that. And so when they give their presentations, there's so much lacking because they couldn't find it. My website is philanthropykids.org. And when you come to Dallas, I'll take you to the Dallas Cowboys. If you will go to my site, to my website, philanthropykids.org sometime and tell me what's wrong with it. Love it. I, hey. I might just take you up on that. I got it open right here. <laughs> and um, I got both of your email addresses and maybe Bob, you've got some people you're influencing. Maybe you can invite Blair to uh, Spencer uh, Brooks to come in uh, and speak to them. I just saw Blair come in. So I, mistakenly used his name so i'll introduce y'all and you take it from there how's that yeah where where are you brooks i mean i i'm in the portland oregon area so uh west coast over here i have i have family in in texas though so it uh i could probably get there without too much trouble so yeah uh, you know i can i can make it a, a two-for-one trip okay I'm, I'm in dallas but philanthropykids.org I know needs help. And we are getting ready to work with Hugh and get ready to do what we call a youth in philanthropy conference that he's going to host. And we need to start advertising it. And I want mm -hmm. to do it probably on this site, Philanthropy Kids. Would you like me to give my initial impressions for you yes. right now? Uh -huh. Oh, you heard it right here, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, to just open it up. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
first things, one of the things I noticed is just as I, uh, this is a, kind of a user experience kind of thing, what I was talking about user friendliness, and this is a much more tactical detail, but it's very relevant because as I scrolled down the page, I had a pop-up here that says, join our inner circle with, with a, um, a field to subscribe. And that's, that's great. Um, I, I like seeing the ask to join the email list, but it stops my scrolling. So I can't, I was scrolling down the page and the pop-up arrested my attention and I can't do anything about it. And so rather than wanting to stop and consider subscribing, my thought process is I just got interrupted in my task of learning about this organization. Cause that's my task right now is I, who is philanthropy kids? What's, what's this about? And the pop-up in that context, especially when it stops my scrolling, it impedes that task. So my suggestion for you is not to get rid of it, but to perhaps change it from something that overlays the screen and stops scrolling to something that sits maybe down on the bottom right and a window just kind of comes up. Um, that's what I do on the Brooks Digital website. You'll see that if you're reading an article, for example, that I want people to su subscribe. We have you know bi-weekly insights and I want, as everyone, I want people to get on the email list to hear more and learn more, but it comes up on the side so that it doesn't interfere with the task of reading. And when someone's ready, um, they can choose to close it or sign up. So that would be a, an initial um, piece of feedback. Um, my other suggestion is I noticed that on, on the top, um, there's some good things about, there's the three boxes, publication, education programs, networking, and then a quote that says, you don't have to be rich or old to be a philanthropist. Um, what I would suggest is perhaps flipping the order. Cause the first thing that I, that I'd want to see when I hit the site is that, that one liner, um, and you don't have to be a philanthropist. Uh, you don't have to be rich or old to be a philanthropist. Um, that's it's a very compelling line, but that's not the first thing that I need to know. I need to know uh, the, your your value proposition in in that single sentence. And so I don't want to see that the blue box that has that as the first thing underneath your navigation. And then you you can hit me with these three boxes about your publications and education programs uh, and networking. And uh, and what I'll give you one last thing to move away with because um, I know that maybe some other people have questions as well. And then under the latest, um, that's always great to show people what you're up to. Um, I noticed that I have to hover over um, a series of pictures. So there's sort of like a grid for those listening um, later and maybe they can't see the site. I see a grid of photos here and I have to hover over them to, to get some text to see, hey, what's this about? Um, I would much prefer, and I think people, it would help engage them more if uh, if there's a photo in addition to some text, if I hovered over and I could see, oh, check out um, the latest stories of kids doing good in their communities, I'll click here instead of having to to hover. And so anyway, those are some, those are some quick initial impressions, but hopefully that, that uh, helps get you thinking on some of these things. Okay, great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and, and, um, we had one of these youth um, philanthropy conferences last year, and the uh, youth that showed up had been um, uh, a result of Bob's uh, tutoring and inspiration over the years, and it was quite amazing. So I'm thinking also having some short videos or short stories about some of the, their their stories would be absolutely engaging. Um, so um, Blair or Sandy, do you have a question? You're in a place you can open your mic if you want to and ask. Uh, Blair, you got an open mic. 
I just want to say thanks. I'm sorry, folks, I dropped out my computer crash. So just enjoying listening to you. No major comments. Thank you, though. Just enjoying listening. Someone asked Sandy. Sandy's part of our team and does the posting on social media and stuff. Sandy, did this prompt any attention for any of the, the stuff that we're doing with Center Vision? I'm not as brave as Bob. I'm not going to ask him to review, <laughs> review <laughs> our site in public. Bob's a lot braver than me. I'm just a, I'm just a bashful, bashful guy. So, uh, Sandy, you're live. You got a question or a comment? I'd just really like to thank Spencer for uh, his uh, insights today. This is just really incredible stuff, and it just makes me think a lot about a lot of websites that I've been involved with over the years. <laughs> just really good stuff. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. I'm glad it's it's helpful. And I, I want to encourage, you know, both you and Hugh, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. This, this is hard stuff. It's really hard. Um, there's entire, you're competing with big companies like Google and Apple who have a massive amount of resources to invest in creating a great technology experience. And as Hugh, you mentioned, even sometimes Apple, <laughs> they don't quite hit the nail on the head. It wasn't Apple, it was AT&T. AT&T, sorry. Well, you know, still big company, right? Um, <laughs> Apple usually hits the nail on the head. But oh, they, yeah. so the, those are the, the companies that are setting the expectations of people who are coming to visit your site. And so you don't, I don't think anyone should feel bad if they're, if their website isn't as great as they think of, think of. And you know, even, uh, even if you are smart and you, you do all the right things, you're still going to miss uh, things that you didn't realize, or you may just not have the funding to get that, that uh, great, amazing website that you want. And so um, I think the good news is that technology is great. Technology also isn't everything. So I think if you're doing your best, and you're promoting your mission that people care and they're also willing to stick it out a little bit if they're invested in your mission and get past any of the, the hiccups and the little things that they might encounter along the way. Yes, and we can learn from those people that do have a lot of money, like Apple, the richest company on the planet. When I, I, I went to the Apple site on my new iPhone 12 and I scrolled down at the iPhone 12 and I looked at, the, it's simple, one thing at a time, and it's like illuminating. And it made me want to go buy another one <laughs> because it was so captivating. So it really, it sucked me into the experience of seeing the value of something so simple. So, but we do get to, we get swallowed up in our technology, but we also, we're afraid of it. So how, how do we as leaders um, help the people in our staff, our teams, our volunteers, our stakeholders, how do we help them learn and be, because we don't need to be doing this alone. If we're going to be posting, sharing messages and making it better, uh, we need to surround ourselves with people who are passionate and purpose-driven and knowledgeable. So how do we start that journey with people? We think they're too busy, but really we never made it available to them in a way they could digest and want to do. That's, a, that's wonderful. I think that the whoever and there is there is going to be a resident uh, accidental techie at your organization whoever that is is probably going to be very thankful that you asked that question Hugh, because <laughs> there's usually one person that's filling in the gap mm -hmm. i think so as leaders recognizing that you need to invest in the digital skills of your staff is a good place to start i would recommend a, um, a digital skills assessment right so you can choose some specific now that could be like 
depending on the work of your organization, it could just could be like, how well is, does someone do it? The basic tasks of word processing and email, or if you're doing social media in your organization, seeing what people uh, on your staff maybe have some social media skills. You can do an assessment across staff and determine where are, maybe where does someone have a hidden talent that I had no idea about and I can get this person involved and where are some areas that maybe we are lacking perhaps severely in so that you can target training and skills development across the board. So I think that's one thing that, that I would recommend um, even you know, as, as part of a, a regular review process maybe toss some digital skills in there as well and make that part of um, the review and the feedback that you give your people. Then once you have an understanding of the folks that are maybe higher tech or just have more tech capacity, I really like the tech champion model. So get those people who are, who just get it. Whenever I do trainings, I look around the room, inevitably I see like three out of four people are staring at me like, I'm like, I'm trying to keep my eyes open. When is this going to be done? You know, they're getting the information, but I can just kind of tell they're, this isn't their thing. That's totally okay. And then there's that, that one person out of four that I look at them and they're just engaged. Like they, I know that they, they get it and they're usually going ahead of me. That's the person that I want as the tech champion in the organization, because that person is going to help train the other three people that, maybe aren't so so into this and that's okay. Um, but I find that once a leadership gets invested in digital skills and digital, then if there's not a, a strategy in place to disseminate that throughout the organization, that it just falls back on the leader to, to do all the training and to do all the pushing. And as you know, Hugh, that's, I mean, you only have so much capacity, that's hard. So identifying those people who are really passionate about technology and making them champions to go out um, is a really great way of, of multiplying yourself, which I think, you know, is a, is one of a, a huge goal as a leader. Mm -hmm. We multitask through uh, delegation, but it really requires the clarity of the, the outcome. You know, we, we as leaders define the vision. This is the arrival point. And we're not very good at that sometimes. And then quantifying the results we want to see. We want to see specifically these results. Then people know what is expected of them. So um, for people that are going to be listening to this podcast, uh, maybe a year or so from now, they can't see that, uh, um, that in the background, uh, Spencer has a drum set. So, so, and um, looks like you got some acoustical uh, stuff on the wall to tamper down the sound, dampen the sound a little bit. Is that right? I do. It gets a little, it gets a little echoey in here, as, as you imagine. So we got some, some foam on the walls to help make sure that my wife and kids aren't, uh, aren't more annoyed at me than they should be. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Drummers are unique in the world of, of music. So, uh, you, uh, anyway, we won't go to the music jokes. We did that before we went live. We went on, I don't want to get any serious booze on this show. Um, so, um, technology requires a lot of, um, knowledge, but it also requires a lot of awareness of what we're doing. It's sort of like, um, leading. If we want to, we want to participate in a group, we need to pay attention to what's going on in the group. 
And I, I guess there's a lot of things about digital marketing that change over the changes over over time. And so we're we're talking to Spencer Brooks. His company is Brooks uh, dot digital, which means Brooks Digital. He's got one of those fancy names that you don't need com for or info or org or anything. It's just Brooks dot digital. That's brilliant in itself. And you have quite a team of uh, very high level, sophisticated uh, techies, I guess you might say. For for so for for non techies, as we wrap up, um, very very helpful, very helpful information today. Um, what do you want to leave people with as, as far as a, a challenge or what's one thing that, that people could, could let's, before we do that, what's one thing some people could do as a leader that really, they don't feel like they're, they've got a, the success they want in their digital anything. What's one thing that they could do that would be, that they could rejoice over and celebrate that might bring some energy and maybe get some other people on board. What's one thing that could implement that doesn't take a degree in rocket science to do? Well, I think a, a good place to start, it'll actually give you a, a good idea of both some wins that you have as an, as an organization and also some areas that you can improve is to benchmark your digital presence. So there's a, a number of resources that are available that lets you go and compare how is your organization doing against your peers. And um, one of those is, um, for example, MNR benchmarks, and I can um, leave the link to that, uh, it, you know, in um, uh, the show notes, or I can we'll create a page somewhere, we'll provide that link, but it has digital stats. So you can say, hey, you know what, we are actually doing really well. For example, in 2019, um, health organizations, or really the nonprofit sector as a whole, their email lists actually shrank. And so if your organization, if your email list grew 1%, last year, hey, guess what? That's a cause for celebration. You're doing really well. Even, and you might've gone into that and said, hey, we only, our email list only grew 1%. We're not doing well. Hey, if you benchmark and you go look at the stats, you're gonna actually realize, you know what, you're not alone. And so on the flip side, of course, you'll also be able to see, here's where the organization's falling down a little bit. And one thing that I really recommend doing as well is looking at where possible, your uh, issue space specifically. So for example, health organizations, they do have some unique benchmarks that are different from even the nonprofit sector uh, as, as a whole. Um, and I, I took the liberty of going through and on the Brooks Digital website, if you wanna find it, I outlined 10 of those that are different from health organizations. Uh, but the point is that for sectors, even within specific issue spaces, in the nonprofit sector, the benchmarks are different. So I would highly encourage anyone listening who wants to benchmark to try to find data that is specific to your issue space. And so you're gonna have a better idea of, uh, of how well you're doing and um, give you some stuff to celebrate, some stuff to work on. Love it, love it. Now here's a loaded question at the end of our interview. We only got a couple of minutes. How do you get people open your emails? The open rate is just terrible. It's all the subject line is the is the quick and easy answer to that. Not easy. Couple, not easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, it's not easy. It's it's a simple answer. It's not easy. Um, <laughs> so the subject line is is the killer. So you can write subject lines that are that get people to open your emails that have like nothing to do with the actual contents of the email. You, you know, you could say open this now, and you're going to get a really high open rate, but no one's going to do anything. 
So I would, my recommendation is A, realize that it's the subject line and B, if you can, if your email marketing software supports A-B testing, try putting different subject lines, testing different subject lines and seeing what generates more opens. And I think over time, if you, if you do that, you'll start to get an idea of what the audience cares about. Do they like short subject lines? Um, do they like you to use certain words? Do they like certain topics? And I think that's a good, it's just a data-driven way to approach it. That's what I advocate. But I certainly would say keep subject lines very short, probably shorter than you think, and then test them. And when you test them, make sure to keep the um, everything else the same uh, so that you get good data, obviously. But um, those are those are two tips for two simple tips, maybe not easy, but simple to, to help with open rates. Because I do think you're right, Hugh, that they're, they're falling. Although email, I think as a whole, is still um, a behemoth in the space. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. No, it's not. So as the closing, you get the closing comment. What do you want to leave people with? Do you want to challenge people? Or is there something you want to say as we exit this great interview? Hmm. I would say, number one, have compassion on yourself. If you're, if you're feeling like this is something that you're not doing well, if it's something you don't know uh, a lot about, it, there's so many other people that I've personally talked with. No, no, the secret is no one actually knows what they're doing, <laughs> you know, the leadership, right? Like, I mean, some people actually do, but you think you don't know what you're doing and realize everyone else in the space, they kind of, everyone's still figuring this out. Um, there, you're, if you're in a leadership position, you're very smart and talented um, and, uh, and then you deserve to be there and technology is just one piece of that. I would also encourage you um, as well, if you wanna keep up with the, the digital marketing space, um, feel free, the Brooks Digital website is one option of many. There's articles that, that we publish, that I publish. Um, you can go read those, sign up for the emails. Um, I can even put uh, links to some of the things that I've talked about, the benchmarks, um, the Care2's digital outlook report, some of these things where you can actually get hard data on what's working in the nonprofit sector, as well as the benchmarks that I mentioned. Um, I can throw it up on a, a webpage, um, maybe something like you know, brooks.digital forward slash nonprofit exchange, and get the link so that you have all those resources right there for you. And you can go take a look at those um, and uh, learn a little bit more and start diving deeper into what's working right now. So those are two things that I'd, I'd, I'd leave listeners with. Absolutely. Well, and that page is up and I will put it in the, on the web, uh, on the page for this interview and in the podcast notes that people find, you can get this podcast, the nonprofit exchange, anywhere that you get your podcast. And thank you for putting that page up. It's, it's going to be helpful. And I put it in there and I'll put it on the page. And so, uh, Spencer Brooks, uh, Brooks dot digital go there and get smarter thank you for sharing your wisdom today on the nonprofit exchange of course you're very welcome Hugh this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com dot